everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're doing fine on this, whenever the heck it is you're listening. I'm doing okay. Been a busy week. We're uh, organizing a small film festival at work. Thankfully, it is a horror film festival. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Hub, you're not into horror movies. Those scare them up scare you too much. Too scary, you always say. Well, that's true, fictional person who I just invented. But despite that, I am grateful that this is the festival we're hosting, and that is for one main reason. The crowds it attracts. The horror movie crowd is much better than your average film festival crowd. For one thing, and really for the main thing, so many less berets. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you go to a film festival, there is a large contingent of people who attend these unironically cosplaying as someone who would attend a film festival. There are a lot of grown people wearing berets around, completely unself-aware about that and really every other aspect of their character. I feel like if you're going to wear a beret, you should be either an elite member of a paramilitary group or a giant, evil, talking gorilla with a French accent. Those are the two groups of people I think it's cool to wear berets. Not even necessarily cool, although if you're an evil, talking super gorilla, that is definitely cool, but allowable. I guess perhaps an exception could be made if you are a smurf who is also a painter, but no, you know what? Fuck that smurf. Because that smurf grew up in the same goddamn smurf village as all of the other smurfs, and as near as we can tell, it's the only smurf village in the world, and he has a different accent, which means that that smurf is fronting super fucking hard. Fucking performative smurf accents. Over it. Anyway, we've got a lot of comic book to talk about, so tell you what, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Molly Hayes Hernandez. Since he's such a jerk to Raven, Paul won't get a kiss, but while he's busy sulking, here's a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Molly. That was rad. New Teen Titans, number 28, February, 1983. Terra in the Night. Oh, Wolfman. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez. Inked by Romeo Tangal. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Len Wein. New Teen Titan Roll Call. Beast Boy. Starfire. Raven. Kid Flash. Cyborg. Wonder Girl. Robin. Previously in the New Teen Titans. A whole bunch of runaway teenagers died and it was a super bummer. Starfire and Robin are now dating. Wonder Girl is still dating college professor Terry Long. And Kid Flash is kinda but not really dating Raven. Also, Beast Boy, a.k.a. Garfield Logan, had a series of run-ins with an earthbending teenage girl who calls herself Terra. The appropriately earth-tone-clad teen keeps doing crimes and saying that she doesn't want to do crimes, but someone is making her do crimes. Gar is treating his chatty adversary with a fun combination of condescension and lechery. And by fun, I mean super gross. Previous to this series of uncomfortable encounters, the gang was in space waging a war against Starfire's piece-of-shit sister and her slave-trading cronies. 
Previous to that, the Titans scored a Pyrrhic victory over Septicentennial cult leader Brother Blood, an episode for which they received a lot of negative publicity. And previous to that, our heroes took a somewhat circuitous route to the idyllic Baltic nation of Zandia, a country secretly governed and populated entirely by murderous criminals, where they briefly teamed up with a psychopathic cadre of nefarious dubatas appropriately named the Brotherhood of Evil to seek vengeance against the murderers of Beast Boy's adopted family, the Doom Patrol. Previous to that, our titanic teenagers tussled with Raven's extra-dimensional quasi-demonic despotic bad dad Trigon, who is still struggling from within to control his daughter's soul. Before that, I think they were fighting fart monsters, one-eyed assassins, and terrible acronym havers, but it's all a bit of a blur. God zooks! Does my mention of the Brotherhood of Evil mean that we'll be seeing some phonetically spelled out accents in this issue? How will Terra respond to Gar's inappropriate advances? And will we be subjected to witnessing the death of more teenage runaways in this superhero comic book? Stay tuned to find out! Okay, so, yes, although not as many as we should, by repeatedly sucker-punching him, and... Oh, I just started to say no, but then I realized that the real answer is maybe? But they're evil, so... Hooray? I don't feel good about that hooray. Conflicted criminal Terra has just hamburgled the shit out of a bank, and is hightailing it out of there carrying a couple of cartoonishly large sacks of cash. Beast Boy shows up and starts trying to get his thwart slash mac on. Terra is zooming around on a combination of flying boulders and those cool-ass ice slides that Iceman used to make in the Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends cartoon, only they're made of dirt instead of ice. It looks rad as hell. Gar keeps cracking wise and hitting on her as he pursues changing into a whole menagerie of green animals as he does so. As she attempts to escape the clutches of her amorous adolescent adversary, Tara mentions that unless she continues her larcenous missions, her parents' lives are in jeopardy. Upon hearing that, Beast Boy stops hitting on her, and earnestly offers the terraforming teen his and his fellow titans aid. Good for him. I knew he could. Oh, wait, never mind. Gar's attempted sincerity lasts about a panel, and then he's back to making shitty advances on the obviously upset object of his pursuit slash affection. So, she pretends to get knocked out, and then sucker punches the shit out of the emerald asshole, and skedaddles off. Hooray! Meanwhile, on the seemingly idyllic but actually run and populated exclusively by criminals island of Zandia, the staff at the headquarters of Brother Blood's evil cult is going about their daily chores. What kind of chores are involved in the day-to-day -day operation of the Church of Blood? Oh, you know, some light housekeeping, little security maintenance, and a couple of casual murders. The usual. Probably there's some giant spider feeding in there. We learn a few things about one of the cult members. She goes by the name Sister Sade, but was born Helen Geary. She joined the church three years ago, and has been one of Brother Blood's lovers. Gross ever since, and she has been terrified of snakes since she was four. Hmm. We were just given a minor character's first and last name and two other facts about her. What do you think the odds are that she makes it off this page alive? Zero percent? Yeah, that sounds about right. The former Miss Geary suddenly has a vision of herself being attacked by an enormous fanged serpent. She immediately dies of fright. Bye, Sister Sade. Suddenly, all the evil cultists start suffering from terrifying hallucinations. 
Sister Soul envisions herself falling from a great height and dies of a heart attack. Brother Fear sees himself surrounded by Chinese dragons and Muppets, apparently, and starts shooting his machine gun at the illusions, killing several of his fellow cultists until they turn their guns on him in self-defense. Bye, Brother Fear. Bye, Sister Soul. If only the Church of Blood hadn't visited that creepy old balloon vendor. But his balloons were so today! Actually, what's happening at the Church of Blood is far more sinister than a billionaire drugging his unsuspecting teenage wards as part of their training regiment. Okay, when I put it that way, maybe far more sinister is a bit of an overstatement, but it's probably still some more sinister, because it turns out the Church of Blood is under attack from the Brotherhood of Evil. Or, more specifically, by some of the Brotherhood of Evil, because missing from the aptly named assemblage of assholes is Monsieur Mala. Boo! Seriously, if you have a team member who is a beret and bandolier-clad, super-intelligent, talking evil ape with a ridiculous French accent who is in love with a disembodied brain, why the fuck wouldn't you bring him on your church invasion? Why wouldn't you bring him everywhere? Anyway, let's reintroduce the members of the Brotherhood who are present. Phobia wears a green bodysuit and a Dracula cape and can control people's fears. She's the one who's been causing the initial round of deaths. Warp wears a full-body metallic uncircumcised turtleneck and has a pretty ridiculous French accent, which is a good start, but come back when you're a talking gorilla. He can teleport people, which he demonstrates by sending a bunch of cultists to the bottom of the Baltic Sea, where they drown to death. Plasmus is a shambling mound of acidic pink jello who melts people by hugging them, which is super gross, as he does to several cult members. He also has a fairly shitty German accent, but it seems to have improved a little since the last time we saw him. Good for Plasmus. Hungen is some kind of technological voodoo master who does science voodoo using science. He just kind of stands there wearing a speedo with suspenders and an elaborate headdress, which I guess is probably kind of evil. It's at least unsettling, and it looks chilly. So that's what's happening in Zandia. Good to know. Back in New York, Donna and Starfire are hanging out in their apartment getting ready for their respective dates. The Tamaranian princess confides in her Amazonian roommate that Dick's been, well, pretty appropriately named lately. Donna tells her that Dick's a great guy, but he's been stressed out lately, and when he gets that way, he can be a real turd. Just then, the stressed-out turd in question shows up at the door. Donna takes off for her date with her divorced college professor fiancé, Terry Long. Coriander mentions that Dick looks a little frazzled, and maybe instead of going out tonight, they could just stay in the apartment and bone. So that's what they do. I mean, it's just implied, but it's pretty heavily implied. Good for them. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I forgot the air horns for when people say bozo, not for when they go to the bone zone. My bad. Meanwhile, a few blocks away, Beast Boy is still playing Pepe Le Pew to Tara's cat who leaned against a freshly painted fence. She leads him on a chase through the zoo, and then he turns into a giant eagle, sneaks up on her, and knocks her out. Back at Donna and Coriander's pad, a post-coital Robin and Starfire are hanging out on the balcony. Robin starts acting like a jerk, and Starfire tells him to try to chill out. But he's all, I don't want to chill out. I want to be a jerk, and maybe fight crime too, but mostly be a jerk. Starfire goes, well, maybe I can help you fight some crime, and then you could be less of a jerk, and I can give you a back rub? And Robin's like, fine, but only to the crime-fighting part. No back rubs, and I still get to be a jerk. Over at the Titan Tower, Raven is meditating alone in her room. 
Lately, she's been having difficulty controlling her powers and is worried that her shitty demon dad is going to swipe her mind. Seclusion and solitary meditation are her only source of solace. So naturally, as soon as Raven sits down, Wally knocks on the door, barges in, and is like, Who boy am I stressed? French class is hard. What are you doing? Meditating? What are you doing that for? I have a sweater vest. I wish I was Robin. He's great. I don't like being a super teen. Raven's like, Um, okay? Before Wally gets a chance to launch another barrage of banality at the Azerathian empath, they hear Beast Boy shouting for assistance from the tower's lobby. When they arrive at the source of the commotion, they find Beast Boy hovering over a Terra who is just beginning to regain consciousness. Raven offers to use her powers to revive the KO'd captive, but Terra recoils at Raven's touch and attempts to escape the trio of titans. Once again, she sucker punches Beast Boy. Once again. Hooray! Then Cyborg shows up, and after a brief struggle, the quartet of crime fighters manage to subdue the sucker-punching Spitfire. Backed into a corner, Terra apparently decides that if she can't bury her opponents in a pile of dirt and rocks, perhaps she can bury them in a heaping helping of exposition. After removing her sweet, sweet Galactus hat and mask, the apparently terrified teen shares her backstory. Her name is Terra. Get it? And she is 15 years old and the illegitimate daughter of the king of a foreign country. Her mom died in childbirth and she was raised in America to avoid embarrassment for her father and his wife, the queen. She attempted to return home a couple of years ago only to find that the royal couple had been kidnapped. She teamed up with her brother, Bryon, to track down the missing monarchs. But the siblings got separated at some point and Tara ran afoul of a group of terrorists claimed to be holding the heads of state hostage. They threatened that unless the precocious princess used her firmament-finessing powers to rob banks and shit for them, the kingnappers would try their hands at regicide. So, that's her deal. Oh, and also she got earth-controlling superpowers somewhere along the way, but she doesn't want to talk about it. Raven's a bit skeptical of the purported princess's exposition dump, but the Titans agree to help Terra confront the alleged terrorists and attempt to rescue her parents. Meanwhile, meanwhile, across town... Donna arrives at the apartment of her fiancé, Terry Long. When she lets herself in, she finds Terry is hanging out with his ex-wife, Marcia, discussing some kind of legal stuff. Marcia's kind of snippy with Terry and Donna. It's almost as if she has some kind of a problem with her ex-husband dating a teenager. Weird. What a jerk. Things get even more awkward when Terry's four-year-old daughter comes in and asks who Donna is. Terry kind of stammers for a bit, and Donna leaves and says that she'll call Terry tomorrow. Uncomfortable. A few hours later, in a train yard in Long Island, Terra and the Titans confront the gang of terrorists who have been forcing Terra into a life of crime. They're all dressed like chauffeurs, but with longer visors on their hats that are reflective and cover part of their eyes. It's actually a pretty cool look. Our heroes trounce the baddies pretty quickly and thoroughly. The gang's leader, soon admits under duress that Tara's parents have been dead the whole time, and the crooks have been stringing Tara along to take advantage of her powers. Shitty. I mean, I guess if they actually had been holding her parents hostage, that would be shitty too. Man, either way, fuck these crime chauffeurs. They suck. Tara agrees. The emotionally distraught, earth-tone-clad apparent orphan freaks the fuck out and makes some giant-ass fists out of dirt that are about to crush the shitty chauffeurs to death when Beast Boy intervenes. He begs the distressed Dirt Whisperer not to get too murdery, please. He too is an orphan twice over, having lost both his birth parents and his adopted family in Doom Patrol. He tells Terra 
that the Titans are his new family now, and they can be hers as well. A tearful Terra tells Beast Boy that she will consider the offer, while Raven and Cyborg look on with a mixture of concern, pity, and mistrust. So, maybe they are a family. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you? Going? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. So, how'd you like the issue? As always, beautiful artwork. Indeed. I am confused about what color Tara's hair is. I'm pretty sure that, much like Black Lightning, a wig is part of her cowl. That's a fair guess. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense, and I'm surprised more costumed heroes don't incorporate that into their, like, getup. Seems like... Part of a disguise. Yeah. Like like, a pair of sunglasses. Yeah, which is why I'm worried that she is not going to fit in with the new Teen Titans, because she is too good at disguise. (laughs) That is true. But yeah, overall, you, uh, you liked the issue? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. There was some complex storytelling in the sense that... I don't know, like, what are they setting it up for? Everybody's got a funny vibe, maybe about this Terra. Could be. Cyborg's got it, Raven's got it. Raven's got it for sure. Raven having it both makes a ton of sense, because, you know, she's an empath, but her not trusting her instincts entirely doesn't make a ton of sense to me, because, you know, she's an empath. Well, also, though, she's just like, "Mm, something's weird. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but you could explore what it is, is what I'm saying. And she chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, they, they couch it a little bit. She doesn't want to use her powers very much right now because of her whole bad dad situation. Well, unless you're a terrorist in which she's just like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to torture them. I'll just reach in his mind and rip it out. Yeah. That's Stup- fair. Stupid terrorist with your stupid hat. <laughs> yeah. I thought those hats were cool as fuck, dude. What is the purpose? It, we'll get to that, I guess. Okay. Like you said, a ton of stuff is set up in this issue. It reminds me a lot of the first part of the Runaways story, where it's just like, okay, we'll set up a bunch of stuff, and then it'll play out over the next few issues, and we'll see how they tie together, if they tie together. But one of the things that is up is the Brotherhood is back, and you know know they can never be whack. I mean, I guess that's, they, they That's are, false. That's, we did a disservice are, to the fat boys with that little jingle. They are a little bit whack, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the Brotherhood of Evil. I think they're dope. And I like that they are setting up a Church of Blood versus Brotherhood of Evil. Best like, accents in the game, too. Oh, man. So good. I will say, yeah, Plasmus's accent is getting better. It's still terrible. Mm-hmm. But... They are making a few more moves to have it sound more German than it did before. Yeah. It, like, have is now half. Yeah. Like, which totally, it's like, okay, that, that's good. Yeah, I we, have to turn you into plasma. Dude, that little speech is berserk. It's not so... He is horrible. He's just like, I want to kill people in the... I'm sorry. I want to kill people in the most painful way possible. Yeah, he's a dick. Bad guy. Yeah, he's a total bad guy. Warp kills a bunch of people, too. Phobia kills some people in some pretty nasty ways, too. The deaths are easy, Hell Warp. But these fools shall feel my terrible power. <laughs> the very touch of Plasmus means a burning, agonizing end. I have been reduced to this plasmic mess. My powers are dark and evil. Ark! <laughs> 
I hate what I have become, but I use what I am now for the good of the brotherhood. There. You are reduced to a protoplasmic blob, even as I am. Now you are devoid of life. Now he sounds like Jakob Schmirnoff. A little bit. (laughs) Like I said, it's making, he's differentiating it from the French in certain ways, other than just like there and this, Mm -hmm. but it's still not great. I love it. I love it too. I wish Phobia was like written with a Spanish accent or something. Yeah. And we could have just all of Western Europe's major... Or we need an Italian. We need oh, there's so many we need. Well, it could be a bigger brotherhood. Mm. I was really disappointed that Monsieur Mala and the Brain are not uh not up in the mix this time. Oh shit, you're right. Don't, you didn't notice? I forgot that they were part of the Brotherhood of Evil. Ah oh, man, they're my favorite part of the Brotherhood of Evil. They are the best part. Yeah. Wait, so there's two French? Is yeah. Monsieur Mala? He's got a French. Yeah, Monsieur. Thing going on. Yeah, Monsieur Mala is French, Corey. <laughs> well, I. Yeah, he is obviously. A Somebody could have given him French the nickname. gorilla who, who is in love with a disembodied brain. Obviously, Corey. It's been a while since I read it, but now that you mention it, fine. We also see some of the inner workings of the Church of Blood. There were a few things about that that kind of stuck out to me. Okay. We see Brother Fear and mm-hmm. Sister Soul mm-hmm. hanging out with Sister Sade. Uh-huh. How do you think they get, do you think they get to choose their own names? Nope. I think Brother Blood makes it up on the spot when he initiates new people. I think they get to choose their own. And I think they didn't tell Brother Fear and Sister Soul that they could also just name themselves after pop stars. (laughs) Like, I wonder if it is all just like, they're like, oh shit, I thought we had, you mean I could have been Sister Madonna? It doesn't have to be an evil name? I could have been Sister Cindy Lauper? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think she gets to have that as her name? Do you think it's supposed to be, like, uh, an homage to the Marquis de Sade? I had the, actually pretty much the same, like, little rabbit hole I went down <laughs> when I read that name. It's like, oh, sweet as taboo. I think it is a nod to the Marquis de Sade, yes. Man, it seems like then it should have been, like, de Sade. I mean, I guess there is already a de Sade in the DC universe. He's mm. Darkseid's master of torture. But it just seemed really weird to me, and, and I, I was immediately like, is that just Brother Blood? Like, did Brother Blood name them? And he's just like, oh, okay. I don't know. You it, look like somebody I saw in a music television video. Yeah. It definitely stuck out at me. Or. Or. Because they're lovers, he let her. He name let her choose her own name yeah. and nobody else gets yeah. to. Yeah, he's like, you all have to have evil names. <laughs> and she was just like, can I be named after Chardonnay? Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I spoil you. I mean, you do still die horribly, and I won't bother avenging you because it's too much work, but I spoil you. Mm -hmm. It does also bring up the fact that Brother Blood is almost certainly sleeping with most of the teenage runaways that he recruits into his evil organization. Gross. And yeah, once again, fucked up, dude. Mm. I mean, kind of fucked up for that dude to be sleeping with anybody, seeing as he's 700. Talk about an age difference. (laughs) (laughs) I was feeling weird about Terry Long, but... Yeah, I mean, Brother Blood makes that guy look, I mean, still terrible. But, or <laughs> terrible. Oh, that was bad. Ouch. Boy, I should probably edit that out. <laughs> yeah. Another thing about the Church of Blood, we see that Sister Sade, in addition to having been Brother Blood's lover for the past three years, also has her fear of snakes exploited by phobia. In a really, like, dope, but 
disturbing panel. Mm-hmm. Phobia makes snakes appear to her and like that they're going to bite her and she has a heart attack and dies. Then she pulls that other shit with, I think, Brother Fear, who apparently... Like, he's afraid and, of Muppets, that guy. Appa- I, apparently, he's either <laughs> afraid of Muppets or, like, it says, like, when she was four, she had a bad experience with snakes and has been terrified of them ever since. Mm. Did Brother Fear, did he run afoul of some Chinese dragons early on in his life? Yeah, I, I was Or, or some out. Muppets or what? Because, like, there is no backstory for him just being like, and then there's some Muppet dragons that show up. Now I gotta start shooting everything. Ah! Yeah. Yeah, they were not drawn as grotesquely as I would have expected. Just like, it's like free range. Just like demon multiball, hit it however you want, George. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, I thought, I mean, it was cool looking. Mm-hmm. I dug it. So... That's the setup for the Brotherhood of Evil, or, yeah, Brotherhood of Evil I know. versus the Church of Blood. I keep wanting to call them the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And also just Church of Blood and Brother Blood versus Brotherhood. It's a lot of bees. Yeah, man. Lot most we got, man. All the bees. All the bees in the world. So you touched on accents a little bit. Sure. And I joined in. Okay. Because accent work is fun. Uh-huh. I am both disappointed and relieved and annoyed that we don't get a phonetically spelled out accent for Terra. We find out that she is the princess of a Euro- of a European nation. Why doesn't she have a crazy accent? Because she was sent away to live in the States. I guess. Even when you send away a baby, they end up with an accent. Haven't you seen uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's masterful work, Double Impact? I have. Is it Double Impact the one where he plays identical twins? I've seen so many. I think so. <laughs> or is it double... based on the title? Yeah. Is that I, I think so, but I also feel like Double Impact might be the one where he teams up with Dennis Rodman for some reason. <laughs> that's not the one where he's Frank Ducks. No, that's Bloodsport. That's the that's the main that one. That one, he's just an American. Okay. That's an right. American with an American accent. That's right. Frank Ducks. Yep. Good old Frank. Double Impact sounds right. Yeah. That was a good movie. <laughs> Better than Time Cop. I don't think that's true. No? I think Time Cop holds up pretty well. Which is the horrible one? Cyborg. Cyborg. Ugh. I picked up a comic book adaptation of Cyborg recently. Why? Because I want to find out what actually happened in that movie. Did it? Did it? Re- I haven't know? read it yet. I'm oh. saving it. Let me know. I will. Also, it was only a dollar. That was so confusing. It really was. I mean, I think we were supposed to be able to maintain the timeline based on his haircut. Because um, <laughs> it's like all told through flashbacks and like he has different haircuts in each one. But I couldn't keep track. Nope. Anyway, I wish Tara had, an, had a fun accent. Sort of, but then I think I would get sick of that pretty quick. What did you think of the Terra story? Like, we met her briefly before, but we get to see definitely more of her here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the kid. Yeah, seems she's like she's to, got a rough go of it. Trying to do right by her folks, and then we find out at the end that they're ostensibly dead, and she was just been being played Yeah, this whole time by these jerks. Yeah, she's also, we find out that she was illegitimate and perhaps not loved particularly by her father at any rate, mm-hmm. or at least was sent away from his presence. We find out that she has a brother named Brian, which sounds like maybe he's related to Coriander. It's B-R-I-O-N. I know. That kind of stuck out to me too. Yeah. Is that significant? Do you know? His existence? Yeah. Yeah, he is a superhero that is part of Batman and the Outsiders. Uh, his name is Geoforce, and he has essentially the same powers as Terra. We also find out that Terra is pretty good at sucker punching. Specifically, she sucker punches Gar a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it cracks me up each time. 
Overall, there was a fair amount of sucker punching in this mm-hmm. uh, in this issue. Couple more things about Terra. I love when she makes fists out of the earth that grab people. Badass. She does it a couple of times in this issue, and it looks dope as fuck every time. Mm-hmm. We also find out that when she robs, she does it in a very classic bandit way and carries big laundry bags full of loot around. I was a little bit disappointed they didn't have dollar signs yeah. on them, but they were this close to having dollar signs on them. Yeah, they reminded me of like uh, trick-or-treating pillowcases, uh-huh. but full of loot. Full of cash, full man. Of cash loot. Cold, hard cash mm-hmm. from a bank that... I was not disappointed to see this bank get robbed. Hmm. Do you know why? Bank, you don't like New York? I'm fine with New York. I don't like banks closing at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What? It listed their hours as being open from 9 to 3, Monday through Thursday. Fuck that, man. That's really annoying. And that's before they had ATMs. Still, I'll just think of having those hours for your job. Oh, no, that would be pretty sweet. Like if you got paid the same. Yeah, like if they're salaried, not hourly employees. Right. Yeah, it would be pretty good. Still, fuck that bank, man. I'm glad Tara robbed it. Well, she had to give all the money back. Well, she she didn't have to give all the money back. Those fucking zoo workers had to give all the money back. Yeah, under and, threat of Gar. <laughs> under threat of Gar tracking them down. He just dropped, like... She, he's been tracking her for days while she has been carrying, apparently, the stolen, stolen loot around at least since the morning. Mm-hmm. Garfield finally does thwart her after doing a pretty bad job for a pretty long time. And getting sucker punched in a way that was hilarious. Then he just drops off the bags of loot with these zoo security guards and says, bring all that back to the place it was stolen from. Doesn't even tell them where it was stolen from. Just tells them, return every last penny or I will hunt you down and kill you. He doesn't say the end kill you part, but I mean, I think they could probably extrapolate. That also led to one of my favorite parts of the whole comic. Where they they're like, hey, that's a uh, what's his name, Beast Boy, and he's like, God damn it! <laughs> and it's revealed, yeah, that he spent one million dollars in the in 1983 money. Yeah, that's a lot I, of money. I have that written down exactly that way. He spent a million 1983 dollars of to, his dad's money. Of his dad's money to have a consulting firm come up with the name Changeling, <laughs> which means pretend baby goblin. Yeah, boo. I mean, fuck, dude, you were envying those bank workers' jobs. You want to be that consultant? God, yeah, I want to be that consultant. Million dollars. Uh, fuck, fuck. Leaf throw my copy of Outside over there. Uh, yeah, that'd be a funny thing to call this rich fuck. Yeah. Mr. Logan, we have the perfect name for you. <laughs> it's Changeling. <laughs> That's pretty much how it went. One of the other things that we find out about Tara, which I had not realized, is that she is only 15 years old. Mm. She says that she is almost 16. How old do you think Beast Boy is? I, to make it not creepy, I was like... 16? I was like, he's about 16. Sure. (laughs) I had to do some some backwards math on that, too. It's still creepy. Mm. Just the way that he is hitting on her, not specifically the age discrepancy. Him being younger than the other Titans, I think, has been brought up before. They are all... I gotta believe like like, like 19, like minimum 19. They're not really drawn or living their lives as teenagers at this point. Right. He is younger than them. And it makes sense for his character to be like kind of shitty younger brother. Mm -hmm. Um, If such a thing existed. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Interesting theory. I've read about those things. Uh Probably in the same places that, you know, you would read about like other fantastical beasts like Pegasuses. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, the Defenders? <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably a shitty younger brother in there. 
But that makes sense for Beast Boy's character, I think. But it is annoying, though. <sighs> like it's piled on so thick, and in, in the last few issues as well. The way he's hitting on Terra, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least he doesn't call himself Uncle Changeling in that this was one. That was super fucking gross. But even in this, like he is relentlessly hitting on this. Okay, maybe they're about the same age, but he's relentlessly hitting on this traumatized 15-year-old girl Mm -hmm. as he is fighting her, Mm -hmm. like, you know, punching her in the face, fighting her while he's dressed up as different animals. Okay, he's not dressed up as the animals. That would be weirder. (laughs) He's changing himself into these different animals, having a regular old punch kick fight Mm -hmm. while hitting on her while she is revealing that her parents have been kidnapped and she is traumatized by this fact. He slows down for a second and is is like at one point like, wait, if this is serious, I can help you. Then like one panel later is back on like, come on, beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put the squeeze on you. It's gross. It is gross. It's gross and it's really, really frustrating. Also his old, I guess, evergreen trope of, ah, I'm just insecure about everything is back. And here he references that like, I've just been so insecure about everything since that fight in Zandia. No, that was the opposite, dude. That was supposed to be the one that let you realize that now you were cool with your powers and shit. Also, you used your powers pretty good when you were on that giant space fight shit that you just are not even referencing now. I'm really, really sick of the Garfield's insecurities being a whole storyline, and it looks like its end is nowhere in sight. Nope. And he's still going to be a frustrating little twerp. Still got a case of the Mondays. Oh, boy. (laughs) Loves that (laughs) lasagna so much. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the other Titans. Cyborg really doesn't do a heck of a lot. No. Shows up in a fight, has his basically street smarts weaponized into a sort of spidey sense, Mm -hmm. where he's like, hmm, I've been around. I feel a disturbance in the force. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much all he does this issue. He does make that really sexist remark when Terra shows up about... Who's this, who does this belong to, or who's who does she belong to, or something? Oh, shit, I didn't even notice that. Oh, bad job, Cyborg. Who's is she, anyway? Yeah. As he's, like, holding her up like a kitten by the scruff of her neck. <laughs> yeah. If I want to give it a more generous read, it's because she is so much younger. Like, whose child is this? But, yeah, you're right. That's not great. But, really, Cyborg doesn't do a ton in this issue, other than that. Despite my discomfort with his dialogue the way that he's introduced in that scene is pretty awesome oh totally he looks so badass and like she's just been kind of like she's trying to escape from the other titans and then she opens the door and cyborg standing there literally his toe no she first grabs his toe and looks up at him and says oh Oh, nuts (laughs) i believe that given her line of sight and where she is standing that may be a literal exclamation (laughs) I think she is staring up in his crotch and says, oh, nuts. <laughs> it's on page 16. That That's his foot. She's looking up. Oh, nuts. Yeah, and he looks super badass because like that gives the, the drawing an, uh, an excuse to be a low angle shot because you're looking up at Cyborg. But uh, yeah, her line of sight is pretty much looking directly at his, at his crotch, which is very scantily clad. And she is saying, oh, nuts. And that cracked me up. Uh, but he looks super badass in that panel. Indeed. Wally is pretty oblivious to shit, Mm -hmm. in a way that kind of cracked me up. Like, Raven's kind of freaking out. Her powers are still not working great. She is no longer able to dispel the pain that she absorbs from others. Mm -hmm. She is starting to meditate, which is helping some. And he knocks on the door, 
Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, how's it going? Can I come in? And she's like, uh, yeah, so, hey, how's it going, Wally? You seem like you're upset. What's wrong? He's like, school, of course. And just, mm-hmm. like, starts whining about his, like, little mundane problems. Failing French. Failing French, too, again. And she just kind of starts throwing shade at him that I don't think he catches. Because he's like, well, I'm failing French again. She's like, yes, I learned to study when I was in Azeroth. <laughs> School was never a problem for me. I think it was more of a, like her just being like, maybe if you studied, you know? And he's like, yeah, anyway, I'm just going to whine about that. Also, Dick's great at everything. He's so great and nothing ever bothers him. We see that that is very much not the case with Dick. Wally does maybe my favorite thing in the issue, which is when they are trying to catch Tara, mm-hmm. he very clearly punches her in the face at super speed. Mm-hmm. And when she says, what was that? He goes, that was a super speed nerve punch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, I think it was like... Backpedaling? I think it's totally him backpedaling. <laughs> He's just like, oh shit, this is a 16-year-old who I just punched in the face at super speed. And she's like, what was that? And he's like, oh, uh, that was a nerve pinch. Sorry about yep. that. She's like, it's weird because my face hurts. She's <laughs> like, yeah, nerves are connected to everything. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I caught that as well. That was... Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. He also does a little thing where he just, like, drains all the oxygen away from her for a second. Which it seemed would have slowed her down a little bit more than it did. Like, that really just made her stumble for a second. He didn't want to overdo it. Yeah, that's nice of him. That was another one of those examples, though, where his powers, I think maybe even more than anybody else on the team, I feel like, get used in a way where they're just like, he can do anything. Unless he can't. Yeah. Unless he can't. His are definitely... It's tough with super speed, but perhaps even more so than Raven's, his powers are the most inconsistently. Mm-hmm. Just needs to get back to the old maple syrup chugging days. Oh, God, I would love that. Mm-hmm. They could, I, I don't, I think that is a later thing that happened with in Flash comics is that like his metabolism is sped up, so he needs to eat like that. But I wish they brought back more syrup chugging. Mm-hmm. That's some good times. That was adorable. Yeah. Even if he was having to fight a baby demon and then have his the demon's grandpa shoot it to death. <laughs> that was a bummer. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Raven. She definitely has a lot of distrust for Terra. She is getting pretty testy, I think, which I kind of enjoyed. Both with Wally and Wally also is just like, Hey, why aren't you teleporting? First of all, yeah, why aren't you using your super speed and running there? But also... Raven's response is just like, I don't teleport. Mm -hmm. Very much in a, we've been over this. I travel through dimensions and it sucks. So I don't like to do it. And also Beast Boy's probably fine. Mm -hmm. Beast Boy seems to have as legitimate an emergency as he purports to have with this Terra situation. Mm -hmm. But I think Raven just doesn't want to deal with it. And I think she was maybe also hoping for some alone time, like even just a few seconds. Like, okay, well, Wally will run at super speed and get out of here. Uh, nope. Nope. I, I thought Raven did a pretty good job. I wish she would trust her instincts a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We also see a little more in the development of the relationship between Coriander and the appropriately named Dick. Dick is a total fucking dick in this issue. Sure is, man. 
And Coriander is trying so hard to be nice and understanding to him and so sweet. And you feel really, really bad for her. Mm -hmm. uh, she's at the end kind of practically like begging to go on an adventure with him. Mm -hmm. He's pulling his old. She's like, I love you so much. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. I am very stressed. Mm -hmm. Also, I am mad at him for another reason. Hmm. Apparently, he's been having all of his circus adventures over in the pages of Batman. Hmm. I wanted to read those circus adventures. I know. But it also cracked me up that, like, he's like, Ah, I'm so fucking stressed out. I just got back from the goddamn circus. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? Huh. Patch the Pony. <laughs> what? The Stranger? No. Danger Pony? Yeah, but the one who specifically... <laughs> I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, and I apologize. But in the video of this PSA that is for small children mm -hmm. about how you shouldn't go with strangers... Right. When we learn how Patch, the one-eyed pony, who was the mascot for these adventures, lost his eye, it was because his father was a stressed-out, abusive circus horse who beat his eye out. You don't remember that? <laughs> I forgot. Oh, sorry, Patch. How could I forget? Oh, man. The circus is no joke. No, man. Dang. Circus is a stressful fucking place. Get albino hypnotizing monkeys. Oh, man. Albino baboons fucking hypnotizing people even though they enjoy enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, Boy, the circus is no joke. Okay. But I wish we had seen some of the circus adventures. And I wish Robin wasn't such a dick about it. I wish Robin wasn't such a dick about it, too. Especially after we get Wonder Girl explaining what a great guy he is and how... He is always trying to live... Like, she is very insightful in this issue when she is talking to Cory. And I like the development of Donna and Coriander's friendship that we see some of in this issue. Apparently, they are close enough friends that they shower in front of each other all the time. So, you know, that's a very special kind of friendship. Good for them. But Donna also gives her, like, just a little speech about what kind of guy Dick is and how long she's known him and some of the stuff he's going through. One of the things she mentioned is that he is always trying to live up to Batman and be Batman, although he never can be because he doesn't have the same kind of obsessive drive that Batman does. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. Like, he has all of the tools. He has all of the skills. He's not going to be Batman because he's his own person. It doesn't mean he's necessarily less than Batman, but he needs to stop trying in that way. Mm -hmm. The analogy that I ended up drawing was a basketball one. It's like the difference to me, I think, between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Hmm. I hate Michael Jordan. But he was extraordinary, obviously, but also was driven by a kind of crazy competitive vindictiveness, like assholeness, mm. that was really kind of the source of his powers in, in a lot of ways. Like... His Hall of Fame speech when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame, he spent a ridiculous amount of time on that talking shit about his high school basketball coach for not playing him more minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, that kind of just inability to let go of everything. That's who Batman is. Mm. I feel like Robin's more of a LeBron, where he's like, he has to come out from under the shadow of this, like, dude. And he has all of the skills and, like, is just as successful. But it's not born out of the same kind of, like, intense, borderline psychotic drive. I feel like the difference is, if Michael Jordan and LeBron James were both offered by some kind of mystical entity, okay, I can guarantee you will win another NBA championship, mm -hmm. but you have to stab this baby in the face. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Michael Jordan would stab the baby in the face, but I am saying LeBron would just be like, yeah, no way, that's fucking crazy, I'm not stabbing a baby in the face. I think Jordan would have some follow-up questions. 
I think that, that Jordan would at least be like, well, does it have to be the face? <laughs> Are you also guaranteeing that I get to be the uh, series MVP? Like, I don't know that he would go for it. I'm not saying necessarily that he would stab a baby in the face, but I do think that he would at least think about it. What if this entity was like, Jordan, how would you like to be... Uh, is it, does baseball also have MVPs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Boy, I don't know, man. Maybe the deal with that entity was something along those lines, only instead of stabbing a baby, he had to grow that weird-ass fucking Hitler mustache that he had in the underpants ads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, shit. <laughs> anyway, that's probably more basketball time. And you have to wear these mom jeans. <laughs> That was the 90s, Corey. <laughs> That's everybody. Apparently we all made that deal with the devil. Back to Robin. We do see maybe the most intensely suggested sex scene. Okay. Like, it is, there is very little chance of having a workaround that Robin and Coriander totally just boned down. Yep. We, we see them embrace and make out and say that they're going to have a night in in front of this Karma Sutra statue that is hanging out in coriander and donna's pad then when we cut back to them in almost certainly a post-coital moment robin's out on the balcony he's got his shirt off when coriander goes to see him she's wearing a, a robe and also dick is drinking a manhattan martini. or a martini he's drinking something out of a martini glass whether he is 19 or not that is underage drinking and i would suspect that he is probably the kind of dude who would persecute other criminals for that kind of shit that is a criminal activity that you are engaging in, Robin. Maybe he's drinking club soda out of it so he can feel grown up. Like he's got like a bottle of Martinelli's. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. That, that I think is actually more in. That line is kind of in character. Name. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. It's a mocktail. Yeah. <laughs> Why would anyone do any drug ever, including right? alcohol? I think that's fair. He's more of a narc than he is a hypocrite. But yeah, he's still a total dick to, to Coriander and, and then just like is immediately like, I just want to go have more adventures and, and fight crime. And, and she tries to like calm him down. He's like, don't you ever just want to enjoy having a bad moment? I actually wrote that down too. And I was like, what a fucking doofus, man. What a doofus. But I can kind of understand that sentiment. Yeah, but you don't Not say in that, that situation. somebody who yeah. you're, who's who you... being so nice to you who you just had sex with. Like, yeah. That's a really screwed yeah. up thing to do. Ah, uh, jerk. Yeah. But Starfire's great. Donna has a rough time of it in her own relationship with Terry Long. She goes over to his pad, and we see, once again, Marv Wolfman does not know what sarcasm is. Did you catch that as I well? Did, I did, actually. <laughs> I did write that down. We meet Terry's ex, Marsha, I guess. Marsha? Joyce, I think. Is it Marsha? Oh, shit, I thought it was Joyce. Oh, it's totally Marsha. I think I made up her name being Joyce because she has kind of a Joyce DeWitt haircut from Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, we meet Terry's ex, Marsha, who is a jerk to Donna. That being said, she has apparently never met Donna before, has not learned anything about her, and a teenager who is now affianced to her ex shows up. I understand her being a little bit snippy. Yeah, yeah, I had a, I had a note in there about her acknowledging a potentially, you know, inappropriate age difference. Yeah, which I think is totally fair, especially if they've been dating a while. Mm -hmm. Like, creepy. We find out that she has not met his kid yet. 
Nope. That seems weird, man. And apparently he hasn't been spending very much time with the kid. Mm-hmm. Terry's a fucking creep. I don't like this guy. He's a deadbeat dad. You don't know that. No, he doesn't spend any time with his kid. I thought deadbeat dad meant financially deadbeat. Dead, oh. Deadbeatish. I think there are many different ways to be a deadbeat. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I like this relationship with Terry less and less. Mm. I wasn't, like, there are aspects of their relationship. I like that he is supportive of her superhero career. He seems to be respectful of her. And I like the general dichotomy of having a super-powered woman dating a non-powered man because you see the inverse a lot, but that version of it very infrequently. Mm -hmm. This whole thing is creepy, though. And I feel like she should have met his kid already before. Also, man. If they're going to be that serious. It's the 80s. Button your shirt. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> especially i i mean i feel like that also when donna just lets herself into the apartment he's hanging out with his ex he's got his shirt unbuttoned like almost to black lightning level proportions he says they're going over papers but she's sitting in a chair and he's just kind of looming over her and they lost track of time it's just not a great scene overall you couldn't blame donna for leaving there feeling pretty ruffled that's true but We did talk about Marv Wolfman once again misunderstanding sarcasm. And so here we have, when Marsha meets Donna, she says, So this is Donna, Terry. You didn't tell me she was so... young. And Terry responds by saying, Young enough not to have developed a sarcastic streak. Okay, first of all, that is a shitty comeback. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just awkwardly phrased, and yeah, I get that it's supposed to be a put-down of Marsha, but it doesn't work. Also... Do you think that she was being sarcastic when she called Donna young? Now, I know we've joked a lot <laughs> in previous podcasts about not understanding sarcasm, but I'm pretty sure that calling a young person a young person is not sarcastic. I don't think so either. Okay. It is certainly she is being snide. She is being catty. She is not being sarcastic. Donna is, in fact, young, unless generally... Terry dates younger people than that. <laughs> oh, I didn't even go there. That's. I hope that is not the case. Oh, but is... yeah, it's once again there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what sarcasm means. I think. Yeah, it's either. I hope. Well, I hope. Yeah, Terry. Terry doesn't get it, man. So before we get into the minutia, was there anything else you wanted to cover? Yeah, there was just one thing. I couldn't tell if it was a time capsule thing. Or not, but I had to look it up. Tara's, you know, kind of giving Beast Boy a hard time because he's being a fucking creep. Sure. And his way of saying is like, oh, that would hurt my feelings, blah, 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 but it doesn't. The way that he says that is, he brings up the word Sanfordized. Sanfordized, I think. Sanfordized? Yeah, Sanfordized, I think, would be if you were maybe just being called a big dummy, like Fred Sanford. <laughs> <laughs> But no, he is being Sanforized, which I also had to look up. And it turns out that that is a treatment of fabric that is done for dry cleaning to prevent it from shrinking. Yep. I don't think that is a time capsule thing, except in as much as it is Garfield Logan talking like a very old man. Uh, Like, I think that is from a bygone era. I think it is supposed to be like a funny reference that he is making but it is one that almost certainly would not be at really any 15 or 16 year olds vocabulary Mm -hmm. but especially not one in 1983 i think not so yeah i caught that too and it was weird fair enough i would like it much better if it was sanfordized and it was you big dummy (laughs) pretty good pretty good 
The only other thing I want to bring up before we get into the minutiae is... I hope that rain isn't going to be too loud. It's pretty loud. It is pretty loud. Oh, well. It's raining here. We live in Portland. It rains. But I don't think you got to read this because it was in the letter column. Mm. You know how we talked about Lord Damon being shitty and we both speculated that it seemed as though he was a racist caricature of Idi Amin? Mm -hmm. We get that confirmed. No shit. Yeah. Oh. We get a letter column, and it's... <sighs> I don't know how I feel about that. I, I mean, I feel vindicated, but up. also just like, God damn it, you guys. Like, okay, so this letter that is from an Andrew J. McLaney. This is going to sound strange, but for some reason, Lord Damon reminded me of, Are you ready? Edie mean. The reply is, Well, Andy, if the truth can be told, George did make mention to me that Lord Damon did indeed resemble a former African dictator, and I did indeed decide to handle the dialogue accordingly. I've grown to love writing that thing, almost to the point where I'm sorry we killed him off. In fact, I've been trying to push a brand new DC comic, Lord Damon's Pals and Half-Eaten Gals. Ah, yeah. Wolfman. Yeah. Damn it. And frankly, Perez, mm-hmm. like you're doing a character design for a cannibalistic alien and you decide to give him caricaturized, overly exaggerated African features and then write him in a version of pidgin English. These are terrible decisions all around. Like I remember it is as a kid, you know, in this era, like him be kind of, you do mean being in the news is this big scary guy? But yeah. Still, that is no. Oh, I'm not saying you to... can't care. You can't make fun of Idi Amin. You totally like. Seems like a pretty bad dude. Right. Like that's fine. But specifically playing up, like it, it, it's like the old cartoons of fucking Tojo from World War II. It's like I'm not saying you can't make fun of this guy. I'm saying you don't need to do it with racial stereotypes. And please, please don't. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a bummer, though, when you're like, oh, this is a little bit uncomfortable. It's hopefully just a coincidence that they drew him like an ape. And then, yeah, nope, turns out it's just gross. Yeah, yeah, real gross. The other thing that is mentioned in the letter column, which I think is worth mentioning, is uh, Wolfman addresses the fact that he hadn't done a ton in terms of character work with Robin in issues previous to a few issues ago. And that there was a specific reason for that. It was because he didn't have license to do that because Robin was still appearing more frequently in Batman comics, which were at the time written by Jerry Conway. But he had a talk with Conway and he, I think the popularity of the Teen Titans series kind of gave him the reins of the character a little bit more. So he gets to do more character development with him. So that's nice. Interesting. Yeah. Still Um, pissed off. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Anyway, you ready to get into the minutia? Sure. All right. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Indeed. Thank you. So, what do you feel like hitting first? I feel like I always say this. But let's talk about clothes. <laughs> you do always say that. And let's. There's a lot to talk about. We talked a little bit about Tara perhaps having her wig as part of her cowl. I like that choice, Mm -hmm. and I think it's a good deal. And I still like her hat, and I hope she gets to wear her hat more because it looks kind of galactic in a way that's fun. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned earlier the bad guys that they fight. 
which you don't like and I think is cool. Okay, so to describe it to me, what it looks like is like a old-timey policeman's hat. Okay. Where the visor instead goes down, like almost to the bridge of your nose. And right. And um, plastic or glass. Made out of mirrored sunglasses, basically. Yeah. To me, it looked like uh, kind of that. I was thinking more chauffeur than policeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, like kind of a Kato look. Yeah, I had a Kato. And I just thought Kato. it was kind of cool. I thought it was an interesting thing to do to extend the visor of that into a mask. I just thought it looked kind of cool. You thought it looked really goofy? I thought it looked a little bit goofy. Mostly I was bothered by the impracticality of it. Yeah. Like, you guys are in a subway tunnel. You don't need mirrored <laughs> things over your eyes. It's going to make you fair. bad at fighting. It could just be a one-way mirror. I, I'm willing to believe that they have that kind of technology in the DCU. And I think it's worth it for the scene in which we see the image of Raven's soul bird self reflected in the visor of the dude as he is screaming. I think that looks really cool. That looked really cool. It offset the part where her soul bird self looked like a deformed banana. Yeah. We've been having a lot of banana chat in the sartorially speaking lately. But you're right. It it does. I would say more banana slug than banana, but still. (laughs) Other fashion. We talked about Terry Long's outfit. Man, do shirts even stay on when they're buttons that low? Yeah. That was creepy, actually. Yeah. I, it's creepy because it's Terry more than anything else. Well, no, he's really like standing. I mean, maybe it's the way it's drawn. It's the perspective, but it looks almost as if he's standing in such a way that his like ankles or shins are intertwined with his ex-wives is because he's they're so close together. I wonder if it's like a power negotiating move if they were talking about like his daughter's future and he's just like kind of looming over her. Like, still gross. Yeah. Oh, no. Still gross. I wasn't saying that as a mitigating factor. <laughs> I, I was just trying to wonder if that's why he was doing it in part. Yeah. I loved Robin's shirt. He shows up wearing a nice, like, tight polo with a different colored pocket. Oh, yeah. It reminded um, me of those uh, uh, penguin shirts. Yeah. It reminded me of I actually inherited some uh, golf shirts from your grandfather. Oh, he, was, um, he had a classy look back yeah, in the day. Yeah, and it's not that dissimilar to Robin's look. It's got a nice uh, orange collar and the rings around the edge of, edge of the short sleeves and then the same like orange and black pattern at the top of a white polo shirt. It's a good look, man. It's a good look. I probably wouldn't tuck it into the jeans, but it was a different time. Well, you're also not Robin. That's fair. He's a total tuck your shirt into oh, everything he, kind of guy. He, du- he tucks his fucking tunic into his underpants. No, he doesn't tuck his tunic into his underpants. He doesn't? I think that I think that little vest thing is on the outside. I mean, I guess the vest doesn't get tucked. How's he Probably get to the his utility does. belt if it's untucked. That could be potentially hazardous. Yeah. Mm. Also, Wally has a pretty tight sweater vest that I kind of dug tight, both uh, metaphorically and literally. Yeah, that was I. I had that as a, a highlight. I called his look um, Christmas slick. Yeah, because he's got red and green, red and slacks, white. green. Uh, yeah, white shirt with like the lapels, the collar popping out over his sweater vest. Good call. And just real briefly, Hoongin from the Brotherhood of Evil. I know we have seen him before. It did not strike me before the extent to which his costume is a color-swapped Borat bikini. It's basically like he is wearing a Speedo with suspenders and then has some, like, cyborg... A very elaborate headdress and some cyborg-style, like, boots and arm sleeves. He is dressed like a showgirl. In a way that I looked, it is the same costume he has had. How it, did we not notice the Borat thing? I don't know. I may, maybe we did. I don't remember the things we did and didn't say. <laughs> I mean, it's a possibility. <laughs> but 
It is a really goofy look, and also, he doesn't do anything other than show up wearing that outfit. Like, he doesn't have any lines, he doesn't kill anybody the way everybody else does. I don't know why he didn't just stay and hang out with Monsieur Mala and the Brain. They could have had some cocktails. Yeah, maybe discuss some fashion choices. Yeah. Monsieur Mala could just be like, Mon ami, put on a beret! Stop wearing the That is all you need! You want to borrow a bandolier of bullets? I have an extra one! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're almost as good as me at accents. Dang. Thank you. I gotta get back to work. (laughs) What was your favorite sound effect? Bonk! I went classic, man. Bonk was pretty sweet. That is Beast Boy when he is a gorilla bonking one of the death chauffeurs on the noggin. Yep, just one potato. Yep. Poop. Bonk. Yeah, bonk. I'm sorry, I get confused sometimes. (laughs) I had a few that I really enjoyed. Bonk was written down as one of them. There is a batam which is Terra sucker punching and knocking out Garfield, which I really enjoyed. Quite satisfying. Yeah. And there was another that was... I realized after rereading it that I had read it mistakenly, but I thought that it was Donna and Coriander's doorbell dying when... When Robin pushed it, because it looks like it says, the sound effect is just B and a bunch of Z's. Mm -hmm. But then after that, there's a PH that's in a different font. That's actually written under the doorbell, I think, to signify that it is the penthouse. But I just read it as all part of one thing. And then it's like, I was like, oh, shit, somebody just shorted out their doorbell. That's a lot of detail. Yeah, it is weird. And it took me a while to figure out that that probably meant penthouse. Because I was like, who who has the initials PH? Is that, does Coriander have a second secret identity? Because she just nailed the first one so hard. Oh, damn. But no. But I, I think I am going to go with that as my favorite sound effect. Although Bonk is a pretty close second. Let's take it to the Bozone. All right. In this journey to the Bozone, what instance of a character calling another character, either literally or metaphorically, a Bozo would you like to discuss? Gotta give a big shout out to Tara here. I'm right with you. There is a nice little exchange. There are a number of them. She's just throwing zingers left and right, man. Yep. She's. But what, what were some of your favorites? I had two, but I think my favorite is because Beast Boy's approach and dialogue to her is just so reprehensible. The first thing that she calls him is puke face. Oh, that one's pretty good. I gotta go real simple because short but effective. When she sucker punches him, she just says, jerk. (laughs) Yeah. And right after that, she says, see you around, nerd. Yep. And it fucking cracked me up both times. Got a legitimate chuckle out of me just reading that. Yeah, yeah. Jerk, too. Jerk followed by nerd. Mm -hmm. Like, you sucker punch a guy, call him a jerk, and then take off and say, see you around, nerd. He's a jerk. He's also a nerd. I'm just really fucking annoyed with Beast Boy. At the end of the issue, he treats it like they had been friends the whole time. uh, And it's just like, hey, I can comfort you. We're here for you. We're your family. But I feel like they really could have used Donna as a round for grief counseling at that point. (laughs) But she wasn't there to just be like, (laughs) hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I know you found out your parents died like a couple minutes ago, but come on. We got work to do. Mm -hmm. Chop, chop. Donna Troy, School of Grief. Did you have a show-and-tell or a timestamp or some combination of the two? I had uh, one of each. Okay. What was your show-and-tell? My show-and-tell was 
And I didn't really understand the reason for it because I feel like this has been covered a lot. Is when um, Beast Boy's like, oh shit, guys, help! And Wally's bothering Raven. He's like, yep. oh, I have a ring that's got this costume, and when I hit the button, it pops out in the air, turns it into a real costume that I can wear. Especially that he's explaining that to Raven, who certainly knows She's that seen information. He's times, at least. Garfield's calling for help. Well, no problem there. I press my ring, and the costume shoots out, expanding on contact with the air. Yeah, I had that too. I also had, which I already read, the Plasmus dialogue. Mm-hmm. I'm killing you painfully. Which is, yeah, I'm not going to go through the whole accent again, but the very touch of Plasmus means a burning, agonizing end. I have been reduced to this plasmic mass. My powers are dark and evil. Ach, I hate what I've become, but I use what I have for the Brotherhood. There, you reduce to a protoplasmic blob, even as I am. Only you are devoid of life. It's a lot of explaining. What a jerk. Yeah. He's a real jerk. Mm. He has a fun accent, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was your timestamp? It was Beast Boy saying that Terra was not Valerie Bertinelli. That is true. Who, I didn't know it was a timestamp, but I didn't know who it was either, so ah. I had to look it up. No, it definitely is a timestamp. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she was, I think she was still on One Day at a Time in 83. I think that was, was the big thing. a very popular actress. She uh, is married to Eddie Van Halen. For a time. I know she did some uh, some work on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Some weight loss stuff. Oh, yeah. Go for her. Good job. That is of a very specific era that someone would make that reference. Indeed. I believe Tara also says something specifically about don't look at me like I'm Miss Spat Upon of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, is a very specific timestamp reference saying it's the 80s. But, sure. you know, that's also a whole decade. I suspect we may be in accord on this, but every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and every issue also has an Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? I think we're probably not in accord on this. What? I'm not sure. For my Speedy, because he was such a doofus, I had Dick. Wow. I agree that he was a doofus. I feel it was overshadowed by Beast Boy. But, yeah, I guess that's kind of a pick em. Mm-hmm. I, I think we both talked about extensively the reasons for each of our choices. Do you have anything you want to add? No, just like it really rubbed me the wrong way that he was treating Starfire. Just, I did not, it yeah, really that bugged the shit out of me. Yeah, post-coital assholery is like kind of some <laughs> next level assholery. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I was just really bothered by Beast Boy's attitude towards Terra and... Like, there's that moment where he's like, wait, your parents are in danger? I was like, okay, he's going to switch. And he does for like a panel and then goes right back to creepily hitting on her. And the fact that he is definitely hitting on her, Mm -hmm. which was a bit ambiguous in the last issue, was like, you called yourself Uncle Changeling while you hit on somebody. Gross. Gross. Mm -hmm. And you spent a million 1983 dollars for the name Changeling. Super annoying. And... You didn't tell the people where to put the money back. Mm -hmm. And we're getting his insecurity back as a major story point. So for those reasons, I chose Beast Boy, although I agree, Dick is appropriately named. Indeed. Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad? Well, because I was so hateful of the way in which he approached Terra in this issue and the last. Uh Uh-huh. I don't want it to happen again. 
So I'm picking him. <laughs> you're as giving, my favorite. You're giving an I believe in you. Let's let's you, see this thing turn around. You to don't Beast Boy. have to be a douchebag, buddy. You're okay. You ah. changed. You changed into so many animals. Ah. You were not particularly effective. <laughs> but I don't want your insecurity to come back, and I don't want you to keep being a creeper. So gold star. Wow. Beast Boy, turn that shit around. This is let's a go. This is unprecedented. A positive reinforcement choice for of an Aqualad title in hopes of clearing up bad behavior. I've been giving him a thumbs down for so long and it's not working. You tried the stick, now you're trying the carrot? Exactly. All right. That's a very interesting choice. Uh, I went with Starfire because she was very nice and just very supportive and really just doing her best to work through this difficult relationship with an asshole. And she does a very good job. She totally does. And Dick just, like, he doesn't know, A, doesn't know how good he has it. No. And B, she is the kind of character that she's not going to put up with that forever, man. And when no. she gets pissed off, she's going to be fucking She's going to break you in half, little man. Yep. Yeah. What was your favorite panel? My favorite panel... Goes goes with the Aqualad for the issue, and it's on page 21. I called it Brooding Ape. I had that in there, too. It looks really cool. He's stalking one of the death chauffeurs and... Getting ready to bonk him on the head. Getting ready to bonk him on the head. But, yeah, it's this, like, really brooding-looking gorilla that's positioned above this, in my opinion, (laughs) dope-looking science fiction chauffeur. Yeah, it's a really, really cool panel. I had a couple. I had the entrance of the Brotherhood because it made me say when I saw it aloud, the Brotherhood is back. And then that got the Fat Boys song stuck in my head. (laughs) So that was great. Uh, And it's also just a really, really cool looking panel. But for my absolute favorite, I think I had to go with on page four, your Aqualad for the issue being punched (laughs) in the face and called a jerk. Just it was so satisfying. Jerk. Punch. Yeah. Great. While we are on the subject briefly of the death chauffeurs, they do a really bad job. Yeah. And one of them specifically pulls out a gun at one point, which looks like a Derringer, Mm -hmm. and says something to the effect of, one false move and I'll kill your parents. Her parents aren't there. (laughs) That is so obviously an empty threat. Bad job, man. Really bad job. Really bad job. Anything else you need to hear? I mean, anything else? (laughs) I could use some positive feedback. Corey? Yes. You're this episode's Aqualad. Oh, God! (laughs) (laughs) Sounds ridiculous when you say it like that, Hope. Jesus. I didn't mean that as an insult. I think you're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. I do. (laughs) Anything else? Or are you ready for the Wapoot? Oh, shit. Let's do that. Okay. Wapoot! Indeed. In... February of 1983, what is Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Well, in February of 1983, Aqualad had been visiting his his buddies. Which their, buddies at, are these? At, at, at the Titan Tower. Oh. And then went off to do some sightseeing. He was in, a, I don't know, where did he drive off to? Manhattan or, or somewhere. Okay. And uh, got a nice place to stay. Cool. Relaxing. And then the snow started to fall. Oh, shit. Yeah. And what turned out to be, like, the worst snowstorm in the history of New York City. And uh, it was something that got, like, 18 inches of snow or something. It was nice. totally snowed in. 
That's got to be kind of fun for him. Did he just like get to roll around in it like Namor and revitalize himself? No, he couldn't even get out of the apartment. Uh, He was like totally stunned. And uh, good news is he had plenty of liquids, but he started to get a hankering for some pizza. Oh, yeah. I I know how that is. Yeah. And uh, there was just no food in the apartment. So he put out a call to his buddy Beaky. Uh Uh-huh. He's like, yo, Beaky, I need some pizza here. Seriously. When he's trying to sound cool, do you think he calls him, yo, Beaks? Yo, Beaks. Yeah. (laughs) Beaks, I need a pizza. And uh, Beaky's like, okay, no problem. I'll get you one. And so Beaky, you know, flies down to the uh, pizza shop, gets gets the pie, bumps into a dude, and the dude is super hungry and, like, takes this pizza, but he doesn't realize that he's taking it from, like, this giant-ass pelican. And Beaky loses his shit, and he's, like, flapping his wings, like, give me that fucking pizza back. And the dude is so freaked out, he doesn't, he wants to turn around and run. Yeah. But you don't want to turn your back on an enraged Beaky. Exactly. And so he starts running backwards. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, this guy's name is Donald Davis, who who took the pizza from Beaky. And it turns out that he was so terrified, he set the world's record for running backwards, which was he did it in six minutes and seven seconds. Which um, is a mile? In a mile. Through the snowy New York City streets. It's pretty amazing. Eventually, he fell down, and Beaky got the pizza and got it back to um, to Aqualad, and it was, every, it, was, it was cool. But, yeah, what a, wow. what a tangled web. Man, I'm just glad to learn... That uh, the guy who holds the record for running a mile backwards, Donald Davis, is a pizza-stealing asshole. Yeah, he is, but, you know, it was also like they bumped into each other and he was just like, a pizza! Okay. <laughs> it's not like he pushed somebody so, down and took it. So it's more like he's like a cartoon-esque, like, mm, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, just loves pizza, just right. can't help himself. Right. Okay. He didn't see anybody. Because, you know. Because Beaky blends in with the snow. Well, Beaky, when like white. when they bumped into each other, it was just like, Beaky was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> and then he came back down and was like, give me that fucking pizza. And the guy didn't speak Beaky, so. Oh, okay. Was... Well, fair enough. Right. Yeah. Well, that that is perhaps part of what Aqualad was probably up to. But he also was getting spooked something fierce. Oh, no. See... Aqualad's a big fan of pop music, as you know. Mm-hmm. Aqualad, I don't know if you know this, but he also is a big fan of old horror movies. I had no idea. Yeah, he loves Vincent Price. Aw. And so, Thriller starts hitting the charts this month. <laughs> and Aqualad's like, well, I gotta listen to this. Mm-hmm. And he got spooked something fierce. Mm. Not only, as I think we are all spooked by, hearing Vincent Price use the word y'alls, <laughs> but also by the general theme of horror and zombies and monsters and he'd been talking with his pals the teen titans as you mentioned earlier and he had learned about them fighting brother blood and he's like this guy came back from the dead and so when he sees the video mm-hmm. for thriller he just gets freaked the fuck out and the song freaked him the fuck out too and he's like shit the armies of the zombies are rising up we need to fight them. So he just immediately launches into action. You know, we both love Aqualad, but he's a little on the naive and gullible side. I suppose, sure. So he starts marshalling his forces. And he's like, you know who we need to have on our side if we are fighting zombies? Hmm. The Undersea Kingdom. <laughs> okay. Well, like, you've seen the Lucio Fulci uh, zombie movie where a zombie fights a shark. Eats a, bites it, takes a bite out of it. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you can marshal all the undersea forces to fight sure, zombies. Right. You, that's who you want on your side. 
Sharks be zombies. Okay. So, Aqualad decided, you know who I should curry the favor of? Poseidon, the Greek god of the deep. Why not? Who he also knew that the Titans had had recent interactions with back in Teen Titans number 12, when they helped fight alongside the Greek gods against the old Greek douchebag Titans. Right. So, how do you curry the favor of Poseidon, the god of the sea? Um, good question. I don't know. Give him a fish? No, no, no. Not a fish, Corey. He has all the fish he needs. But Poseidon is also the god of horses. What? Yeah. That's why when the Trojan horse was uh, was used as a ruse without Poseidon's uh, knowledge, he's the god of horses. That's why he caused all that problems for uh, Odysseus. Whoa. So... Aqualad was like, well, I gotta give this guy a present. So he went on a heist and he stole a Kentucky Derby winning stallion. Oh, the insurance payment on that thing was astronomical. It was over $10 million, which is why he didn't feel that bad about stealing it. So he brought the <laughs> horse. <laughs> He's gonna put something of these out of Sugar. business. Sugar. <laughs> oh. he, he brought that horse to Poseidon and Poseidon, who is not as gullible as Aqualad, was basically like, Sweet, free horse. Yeah, if Michael Jackson and his forces of zombies rise up against humanity. Yeah, I got your back, Aqualad. And Aqualad was like, whew, that's a relief. A job well done. Oh, Aqualad. (laughs) Yep. That took place on February 8th of 1983. He kidnapped the horse, Sherger, and that is what that horse has never been found to this date because... He is having a great time living with Poseidon. God of horses knows how to treat a good horse. And uh, yeah, the his owner's got a $10 million payout. So everybody's happy. Except the auction house that insured the horse. Yeah, fuck those guys. Oh, Aqualad wouldn't... Yeah, that's not Aqualad talking, that's me. Fuck oh, those guys. okay, okay. And that is what Aqualad is probably up to. Damn. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. Thank you for listening, and I hope you had fun as well, listeners. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can contact me on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you're using. And if you would like to give us some money, you can do so at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. Anything else you've got to add? Enjoy! Enjoy! Enjoy, enjoy indeed. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have fun. Okay. I mean, thank you. Have fun. Yeah. Ha ha. Ha. Bye. Terrorize y'all's neighborhoods. <laughs> so why, why did Vincent Price have to say y'all? Yeah.